I think my version's better. What do you guys think? <laughs> hey, you guys, it's Misty. Welcome back to hopefully the final installment of our experience at Penhurst Asylum. My experience, I guess I should say. I do not have a guest with me today. I wanted to take the time to do this final installment solo. So I can really get kind of um, into the heart of what I do and um, how it all comes to me. And so without further ado, let's get right into it. So um, piggybacking on uh, part one and part two, we know Penhurst was a horrible place. A lot of mistreatment, a lot of malnourishment, a lot of... Oh, just ugly, 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 ugly went on there. Um, eventually it did get shut down and now it is one of the most world's most renowned haunted, uh, locations in America. Penhurst was a state school for the mentally, um, disabled and, um, was, uh, they called it the, the school for the feeble-minded, and they also used some derogatory terms, which I won't repeat, but um, we have evolved since then. And um, it, was, it was a very heavy place. Like I said, um, went there once before, had a little bit of uh, an experience and captured a little bit on my on photograph. And this time around, it was a full-fledged uh, investigation. I believe we had six or eight hours there. I know at least had six. I can't remember if we had six or eight. But um, the people at Penhurst, they are super professional. Shout out to them. They are, the way they conduct their tours and their investigations is with utmost respect for the spirits that still linger there. So a huge round of applause and kudos to them. Just really left a positive impression on me on how they handle uh, those that once were, were there. And for some reason, their spirit still lingers. So speaking of spirit, um, which is something that I, we talk a lot of on this podcast, um, what I do before I go to any of these locations, I and this is something that has just relatively been new to me over the past four years. I've always had abilities. I've always had, um, I've always seen things. I've always experienced, and you know this if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, and but some, but things would just come to me. I wouldn't like actively make them like a point to reach out. And just up until probably honestly about two years ago, I have really been starting to fully open myself and really own my uh, intuitive abilities. And so one thing that I have started doing over the past two years is about a half hour before I get to the, this location, whether I'm driving or being driven, I will turn on music and I will ask my spirit guides to come to me and my angels to come to me and tell them if they could please help open up, you know, my mind and help me receive the images or the, the spirits or whoever needs for some reason wants to get a message across to me or through me or um, because basically all I am is like a conductor 
okay of of their energy that's all i am i need energy needs a source and i am that source to those who obviously are in spirit i'm a stronger source you gotta kind of think about it like the way electricity works if you think about the way that you receive uh intuitive visions or mediumship abilities it's just basically energy transfer that's all it is it's as simple as that and you can't argue with science you can't it's science is science and that's how it works but you know i know people will say oh it's it's of the devil and it, and it's not what you think it is well i'm sorry i i don't know why i get these visions i don't know why i'm able to see what i see but I can tell you right now that I, um, you know, I, I get them and I haven't been very wrong. And one, you'll get to hear one of these stories uh, in this, this final episode of Penhurst. Um, I will tell you, it was one of the most horrific visions I ever seen. And I actually had to stop um, in, my, in my opening. Um, it was the last thing that I seen. And I, I just was like, I can't, I can't go on. I don't, I don't want to go on anymore. And, and I have to work on that. I know that if I'm going to be going to places like this and, and for some reason, maybe some of these spirits feel like, Oh, I, that one that I could feel that energy. I know that, that I am open this, this energy, for some reason, the spirit that is trapped there can feel my energy and know that's a safe space. And I got to be careful, you know, because you know, the, whether they were human or not at one point, that's where it kind of gets a little, a little scary sometimes. And that's where I have to have a keen sense of discernment about me. And, um, I definitely have to say that that keen sense of discernment was used at one location in Penhurst. So I go on and I, about 30 minutes beforehand, we'll play the meditation music. Ask, like I said, ask them to open, help me open, help me see. Now, obviously, if I'm driving, I can't close my eyes. And I just basically have things start to kind of come to me. It's a little easier when I'm being driven because then I'm able to close my eyes, black everything out, put my music in, and really concentrate and allow myself to open. Sometimes when I'm by myself and I'm driving, it's a little bit more difficult. But um, before not to shorthand the people that if I go in and do cleansings, you know, on their home, I don't, I will sit in their driveway, honestly, for about at least five to 10 minutes and have my music as I'm still listening to it driving, but sit there and we'll close my eyes for five to 10 and ask for anything to come to me, you know, before I walk into their space. So we were about an hour outside of Penhurst location in Spring City. And all of a sudden, I heard the loudest like commotion, like it was almost like there, I was at a concert hall and you could just hear the talking and screaming and like, like the chaos, you know, you can hear in the chatter that you hear whenever you go to a big event, when there are multiple people, kind of like a football stadium or, you know, a concert, if you will. But obviously these noises were slightly different and I knew immediately that the spirits that were still there, linger there, were trying to get up in contact with me. And this was before I even, you know, an hour out. I wasn't ready to open. I was still just kind of enjoying the ride. And so I looked at my husband and I said, hey, I need a pen and paper. I don't, I'm not ready yet. Um, it's, they're already coming through to me. 
So I immediately put in my music and I immediately closed my eyes and blacked everything out and called upon my spirit guides like I do and my angels to help me see whatever they need me to see. What message do you need me to, what do you need me to see? What messages do you need me to uh, give to whomever? Or do you need help? Is there a reason you're coming to me? And I have to decipher all of this. So, I mean, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, but um, it is amazing, honestly. Um, it's almost like I get to go back in time sometimes and experience this, these things. And, and they're horrible. Some are horrible and some are, some are pretty awesome, you know, but um, it's, it's all in, in the territory. But that was the first thing that came to me. It was very loud, very chaotic. Um, I, I felt like people that go here, if you are a sensitive, um, you will get headaches, you will feel nauseous. And you will also sometimes get the feelings of like that chaos or anxiety within you. And it's not because you're scared. It's because that's kind of the energy that these people that were housed there were giving off. Because, you know, if you think about it back then, I mean, we've come so far with our, you know, ways to help the autistic and mentally disabled back then they really were doing experimental surgeries and torturous surgeries like such as lobotomies and if you don't know what a lobotomy is look it up um i'm not even going to tell you right now what a lobotomy is if you don't know what it is because i want you to see that image i want you to to look at that and know and what it does is it basically wipes any personality and off of the person it's basically a windshield wiper effect of the front lobe, lobal part of the brain. And it basically takes away the personality of the person. It makes them, for the most part, numb and brain dead. And how, what a shame. What a shame that we thought that that was the way to fix mentally challenged people back then. Like, it just, thank God for medicine. But whoever really thought that that was a great idea, it was so bizarre, which I feel like I have, you know, gave you a little bit of a background on how the lobotomies and all that started. And how the person who created Pennhurst was actually a friend of Adolf Hitler. And so it just really, it has a dark past. So um, another thing that came to me was a little girl with brown hair, um, short brown hair. She had very prominent teeth. So almost kind of like overbite-ish or kind of like buck teeth. Um, she was cross-eyed and she her her arms were very rolled and kind of twisted so obviously she did was definitely disabled and definitely had a form of uh, a mental disability i could tell that her eyes were like a brownish hazel and um i feel like she was in her young uh she was young she was in her early 20s um and she was very sad and I felt like she, her family abandoned her. Um, and that broke my heart. Like, cause the way that she looked at me, she looked so sad. Like her whole heart was broke and she didn't understand why she was here and why she was being treated this way. And I feel like she might've her her energy may still be stuck there because she's still waiting for her family to, you know, come and, take her away from this horrible place and that really broke my heart seeing that vision um i didn't i will tell you i did not really 100 connect with her whenever i was there um 
I did connect with two, two uh, spirits while I was at Penhurst. She was not one of them, but for some reason I seen that, that vision. Um, another vision that I got was a little boy. He was probably seven or eight years old, blonde hair, bluish gray eyes, kind of like a, like an old school Amish style haircut. Um, he was wearing dark bib overalls, a white shirt. He was barefoot and he looked like he was outside playing and like on a swing set area. And at Penhurst, they do, they have an old, the, the all the, everything that's there has been there since the place has, they haven't added anything. So you see the play equipment that is there. They played on that play equipment. And I felt like he was happy in this moment. Um, that outside was like just probably the best part of the, of the day for them. And, um, so it was, that was actually a positive to see. He really didn't look like he had any type of, um, like disformation or anything like that. He, he looked like just, a just, a, a an everyday kid didn't really have, didn't look like he had, uh, like any type of facial, like I said, facial disfigurations or anything like that. You know, but um, didn't con didn't come in contact with him. Not at least that I felt. Um, I did get the the message that, and that's and sometimes I'll get messages. Sometimes I'll have visions. Sometimes I'll get messages. The first time, whenever it said about you know being loud and all of that, that was just a message. That was to me my spirit guides talking to me, giving me information to tell others that I was going to be around. Um, and sometimes I get information that's just for me to hold on to, because sometimes I may connect with that spirit whenever I go do my investigation and maybe they know I can communicate and they need to get something out or across and I'm just that channel. So I got the message that if you get bit, you get scratched, um, or if you get touched aggressively, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. This is their way of communicating. And that totally made sense to me. Um, because they're non, most of them were nonverbal, you know, most of them, their ways of communication say they, they wanted a water, a drink of water, or they, they, you know, needed change because some of them were in cribs and diapers and they were 16 years old and that's absurd, but that's just the way it was there. So of course, you know, they're feeling nasty. They have no way of communicating. They're going to grab at you. Hey, I need help because there is no vocalization there. For some reason, their brain could not, cannot process to be vocal. And that, that it was so heartbreaking. But so I had to tell everyone that went with me on this trip, Hey, I feel like I need, like, this was a message that I was supposed to tell either one of you that were with me you know, don't be afraid. Don't, don't think that it's a, a demon trying to attack you because that's what, you know, these places seem to want to <laughs> seem to want to believe that if you get scratched or feel like you got teeth marks on you, or you felt pushed or shoved or your hair got pulled. Oh, it's, you know, it's the D word. And that's not exactly the case. I mean, you got to consider you got to consider the location you're at. And, and I, I really felt like my spirit guides were trying to bring that message across to me. So another person that I saw, and this, this was a really cool story. Um, I seen a Mr. This is the only way I can describe him. People love my, my referencing. Sometimes I'm like, he kind of reminded me of like a Mr. Peabody. 
You know, he was a Mr. Peabody looking man. He had the circular glasses, real professor-like or doctorish. And whenever this man's face came to me, and I could tell that it was definitely back in that era, um, he I didn't get a warm, fuzzy feeling about this guy. Um, definitely did not. And I then found out when we were in the Mayflower building, they have a uh, like a shop area where you can buy souvenirs and such. And they also have pictures of what Penhurst was like. And it's only in that one building, only in the gift shop at Penhurst do they have these pictures. And I seen the guy and lo and behold, it was the professor of Penhurst. Um, I don't believe it was Dr. Fear. It was the one who was the uh i wish i could remember his name but it was the one who was the friend of hitler who created the system that was penhurst and how they treated their patients so to speak and that to put that connection that two and two together i was like oh well that makes sense why i felt like ugh, like i i just felt like God, you're disgusting. There's just something so off about you. And that made total sense once I, you know, got there and I was like, oh my God, that is the guy that I seen. That is exactly who I seen in my vision when I was trying to open. Just totally made sense. Um, I didn't come into contact with him either, other than referencing, yep, this makes sense. So that was kind of cool. It was just a validation for me as to who I saw. And yes, he was not a very nice person. Um, I did come across a name of a girl named Kate or Katie, and I had a reference to shoes, and I was like, that's very odd. Like, all all I was like, all I kept saying, you know, all she kept saying was shoes and her name. So when we did the history tour, which it, they do that. They give us a brief. We walk around the facility outside um, and they give us a brief history tour before we're, you know, separated and as different groups to do our investigations. And in the, the tour, there was a factory that I didn't even know about. Like apparently at Penhurst, they did teach them skills, the ones that were a little bit more higher functioning. They taught them different skills. And one of the skills that they taught them is they actually had a clothing and a shoe factory that they made, um, or, you know, the, sh the shoes and the clothing, and they sold them. And this is how Penhurst, I guess, kind of made money for their facility because it was all kind of, yes, it was ran by the government, but they also, um, I guess, I guess they made money somehow um, to, I guess, do activities or whatever. I don't know how they got, you know, what they did with the shoes and what they did with the money, to be 100% honest with you. But I do know that those that were working in that factory did earn what was called, quote unquote, Penhurst bucks. Like they had their own um, money system there at Penhurst. They didn't actually get paid regular money, like, you know, the, the normal ones, fives, tens, twenties. But they got Penhurst bucks and then they could use this as almost and this was so sad when I heard this. They almost used it as a commissary like you do in prison to purchase extra snacks and and other stuff that you may want or need. And that just breaks my heart. And whenever they said that, but it made sense because what we were told, though, that at Penhurst, girls were separate than boys. 
But then when this gentleman was explaining to us the history, he was like um, about, you know, that they could go and work here. And so I had a question immediately because I knew that I got this reference in my opening to this girl named Katie in shoes. So I raised my hand and I was like, hey, um, did they allow women to work as well as the men? Or was because you guys kept them segregated because that's the way that the professor wanted it. And he said, no, he goes, actually, if they were high functioning and they were trying to teach them to become active members of society, or so they said, that they, um, they work together. So men and women both work together. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And I had no clue, no clue whatsoever that at Penhurst, they actually had a clothing and shoe factory. And that was something that men and women both actively made together as you know the patients there so that really because that just shows you that if you do have intuitive abilities don't discredit like something like that where i'm like shoes okay uh all right I, you know so now it all made sense to me so another great validation point and i'm gonna end with the saddest the saddest validation point that i had was um my, my the vision that i had to stop I actually was seeing this very lanky, malnourished man, male, who looked so emancipated, so thin. He looked like he was probably at least like 6'1", 6'2", but a stick, so skin and bones, almost skeletal-like. And I seen him in a bathtub, this white old claw bathtub, right? And I seen there was this big window behind him. And... I seen this nurse just uh, being so aggressive with him and like his, all I seen was his arms and his legs flailing and water splashing and this nurse just like submerging him basically. And I immediately had, and I had to stop. I had to open my eyes because I knew, I knew what happened. I, I felt like that nurse for some odd reason drowned and murdered that patient. And so when we're on our tour of the Devon building in our paranormal investigation, he was telling us what happened in the Devon building and what spirits are known to be there. And he goes up to the third floor and, or we go up to the third floor. And this is before we start our investigation. And he says, anyone who investigates here in this space and we walk into this room and as we walk into this room, my eye catches a glimpse to the left. There's another like little room and i see a tub and as soon as i move a little closer the tub and the window is exactly how i seen it in my vision and i immediately got chills and i knew and he all he'd said was is if you investigate this in this area please be kind because the person who met he said the person who met met an untimely death in this area he was very vague so I'm like, all right, cool. I understand why you're being vague. I appreciate that for investigative purposes. But he was just telling us to be kind to the spirit. So I let everyone else leave. And I'm like, hey, you tour guide, man. I need you. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta know. So I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know, I am an intuitive medium. I, you know, I'm new to all of this, but I am like kind of honing in on my practice. 
I said, and I, when I did an opening before I came and this is what I saw. And I told him what the vision I had. And by the time I was done telling him my vision, he looked at me like I was the ghost. And he was like, yes, he goes, that is exactly what happened here. He said, you, you are so spot on. And I'm like, well, I would like to investigate here because I feel like he's trying to reach out to me for some reason. And he said, yeah, by all means, you know, so that was, that was very brutal to see that vision and to know that that is how he absolutely met his untimely death. And when we did investigate there, I will tell you, we were, we were getting, getting some response on the REM pod. Um, we were getting a lot of knocking sounds and we were the only ones up on the third floor at that time investigating. Everyone else wanted to be downstairs in the basement of the Devon building with the tour guide. We were the only ones that were like, all right, we have our own motive. This is what we're going to do. So, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was a really, um, and I did tell him because I felt like, I felt like he was stuck there and God forbid that there's a part of you that lingers behind your energy lingers behind and you're stuck in that loop. And I, I know if, if it was me and I went in that tragic of a way and I wasn't for some reason recollecting it. And you got to think about places like this, that those that have mental disabilities, you know, their energy is probably so charged that it does linger there and it, it can still just relive and reloop. And if I can be that person that can connect with them and tell them, go, you don't have to be here. You don't have to go through this anymore. You can move on to, you know, the next realm. And, you know, and that's what I did for him. And I did tell him that he did not have to be stuck here, that he could move on and he does not deserve to um, relive that because it was torturous for him to even go through that in the first place. So I'd be curious to know if going back there, if they still have activity or not. I mean, sometimes telling them that they can go is all they need. And sometimes a little bit more needs to be done by multiple people for some reason until the right, they, you know, they find the right one that whoever message gives it to them clicks. You know, I can't, I can't say that I'm always going to be the one to be able to move them on. And then. The final thing that happened to Penhurst, we were down in the tunnels and there is a entity known as King. And this was the other little bit of besides the whistle that, you know, my husband and I talked about. So we had we did have experience with the the boy in the bathtub that we had a little bit of REM pod. I did have some knocking, some response knocking to questions. Um, and then we did have the whistle experience at Penhurst and in the tunnels. And then I had an experience with King and King is a very intimidating spirit. I don't know what King was exactly if he is a janitor of such or, but I will tell you my experience with him is he made me feel he likes women. He likes women all by themselves and he will start to charge you and make you feel very intimidated. Um, there were, we told you that there were balloons that were down there and there was no airflow in those. And they, this balloon just started like rocking back and forth. And then as my husband and, you know, his friend and the other gentleman that was with the girl that I was with. So all the men left and it was just me and her. And then all of a sudden the REM pod just kept going crazy. And I kept asking questions like, um, is this 
who they call Kang down here. And the REM pod went crazy. And I'm like, all right, Kang, if that is you, I need you to step away from the REM pod and just to verify that it is you that we're talking to. And the REM pod stopped. Well, all of a sudden, I just kept feeling very uneasy. Like I really didn't want to engage with him too much. And then all of a sudden I seen this like black mist kind of like come at me. And I knew it wasn't a bat because it was low to the ground and kind of like charged. And immediately I said, Hey, no, I'm not doing this. And I stood my ground and I said, I'm not doing this. And as when that like came forward, that black mist the REM pod went off again. So whatever that mass was, the, it, it, it picked up on it. The REM pod picked up on it. And that's when I hollered for my husband. Nope, you need to come back here. I ain't doing this. And I told him, you know, you stay there and you do not follow me. And you do when you go to places like this and nine times out of 10, it's, it is an energy that is just, if you, if someone was grumpy in this life, does that you really, do you really think that they're going to not be grumpy if they decide to stick around for whatever reason? I mean, it just makes sense. So I just felt uneasy by this one. And I, you have to stand your ground and say, you're not following me the rest of the time that I'm here. You are definitely not welcome to follow me home. And you just stay back. And I, you know, immediately will close my eyes, shield myself, ask my angels to come by my side, protect me. And, you know, this is obviously an energy that does not want to be helped. It just wants to mess with me. And I am not about that. So remove myself from that situation. So all in all, guys, Penhurst was an amazing place. I would definitely recommend any paranormal enthusiast out there to go and check it out. They do a wonderful job and they are very respectful with the way that they handle their spirits. So new series coming up. Can't wait.